All right. Well, now that uh, you know we're disciplined and we're dedicated, we're you know it's going good, right? <laughs> but ladies, there are some things we must remember. We just sang about it. He holds us fast, but we also have to hold fast to the truth. And so we have come to our third session, uh, living in an anti-truth world by remembering to hold fast to the truth. And so, ladies, we must remember certain things if we are going to do that. So let's turn the corner a little bit, and if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. And we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Are you making your calling and election sure? David Weiss, Josh Harris, Dave Gass, Robbie Zacharias, Frank Schaefer, Jean Roddenberry, Thomas Roper, Ryan Bell, Judas, Demas. Now, some of those names you might recognize. Some, you may not know who they are, but all of these names have a common thread. You know what the thread is? They denied their Christian faith. They were not diligent to make their calling and election sure. Now, ladies, we know from Scripture that salvation is from the Lord, but each of us has to be diligent to pursue Christ and his kingdom we have to pursue certain qualities of our faith. Now, those names I just mentioned, we know that those who depart from the faith that they once professed, we know they were never in the faith. I had a brother who was a pastor who apostatized from the faith. He went to Bible school, became a pastor, wrote Christian music, had a trial in his life, got angry at God, and now he's a God mocker. He hates God. He hates God. So when one departs from the faith they once professed, we have to know that the Bible says there are people like that. They were never in the faith. John is very clear in his epistle when he talks about these. They went out from us. Why? For they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, in other words, went out from the faith. Why? Because they were never of us. They were never in the faith. In fact, Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you, never knew you. And so departing from the faith is serious. In fact, it's dangerous to your soul. What keeps you, what keeps me from being named with those that I just mentioned? You know, what keeps us is really who keeps us, right? <laughs> and aren't you thankful that he holds us fast? First Peter even says in his first epistle that we're kept by the power of God. We're sealed to the day of redemption, Paul says in Ephesians. No one can pluck us out of the Father's hand, Jesus says. And we know that to be true, right? We are secure. But in that security, we have a biblical responsibility, right? And so Peter is writing to these Christians, and he's making sure, wants them to make sure, that their calling and election is sure. In fact, when he gets to chapter 2, he's going to spend a whole chapter talking about false teachers. And so he's saying, don't be like this. Don't be like those who depart from the faith. Ladies, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says to the church at Philippi. So as we open this session, I want to ask you, are you making sure that your calling 
an election is certain. Now, before you answer that question, you must, some of you are already saying, yes, I am. And some of you are saying, no, I'm not. Before you answer that question in the privacy of your heart, let's examine the answer to this question by considering what God the Holy Spirit says through our brother Peter in 2 Peter. So let's read verses 5 through 11. But also for this very reason, give diligence to add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to the blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you have an outline. We're going to look at the responsibilities to make our calling and election sure, verses 5 to 7. Why don't we make our calling and election sure from verse 9? And then some results, some wonderful results, if I do make my calling and election sure. And these are going to be from verses 8, 10, and 11. So first of all, let's look at my responsibility, your responsibility to make sure your calling and election is certain. Peter starts out, but also, and it's important, I don't really like jumping in the middle of a book of, of the Bible, but we're not quite in the middle, we're at the beginning, but Peter is writing to a group of Christians, some believe it's the same from 1 Peter, the persecuted Christians, we don't know for sure, but he's already written as he begins uh, the, the epistle in uh, chapter 1 and the first few verses and leaves them with some wonderful promises, the precious person of Christ, the peace of Christ, the power of Christ, and the promises of Christ. And so he leaves them, if you'll look at verse uh, 4, he leaves them with a reminder that even though God has promises all these things, his power, his, his peace, all these things, he says we're no longer what we used to be. We have escaped the corruption of this world through lust. That's who we used to be. We are not that person anymore. And because of this truth that the old man is gone and the new has come, we're new creations, then he says, but also for this reason, because you've escaped that corruption of the world through lust, because of this truth, be very careful. Be very careful to make your calling and election sure. He's already reminded them in the first portion of the scriptures that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Ladies, you have everything you need right here for life and godliness. But even though we've been given that, we have to follow through with our responsibilities. And so Peter says, notice what he says, be diligent, be diligent, don't be lazy in your walk. Discipline yourself to godliness, just like we talked about in our last session. He says, give all diligence. Be zealous about this. Be earnest. Be eager in your walk. And so, ladies, our first responsibility, if you're taking notes, is we must be diligent. We must be diligent. Don't be careless in your spiritual walk. Be diligent, like we looked at last night. The athlete, the soldier, the farmer. <laughs> be diligent. In fact, it's very similar to what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 6.11. He says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. Don't be slothful. Don't be sluggish. 
but imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Boy, that's a word for our day. Don't be sluggish. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy in your Christianity. So what are we to be diligent about? Well, Peter gives us seven virtues that we must pursue with all zeal. Notice what he says. He says, be diligent to add to your faith virtue. Now, I want to be clear because this, these passages are taken out of context. This is one of those things we talked about in our last session. Hermeneutics, right? Proper rules of interpretation. And I've heard these verses uh, taken out of context to mean something they don't mean. But I want to be clear about this. When he says, add to your faith virtue, he's already assuming his readers have genuine faith. He already said in verse 1, you have obtained precious faith with us. He's writing to Christians. And by the way, ladies, without faith, you would not be able to have these seven virtues. If you don't have genuine faith, you won't have them. But to this faith, we add virtue. Now, the word add does not mean what we think. And here again, we're talking about languages, right? And important to know what it means in the Greek. The word add means to aid or contribute. So Peter is not saying we add to our faith virtue. And then we add, it's not like a recipe. You know where you start out with the eggs, and then you add the flour, and then you add the sugar, and then you add the cream of tartar, and then you add more sugar, because I like sugar, and then, you know, you add all this stuff, and then you have a recipe. He's not saying that. In fact, the Greek word here for add was used to describe a genuous giver in the biblical world that would uh, give money in order to be able to put a play on the Greek stage. And so, you know, back then they'd have to pay the actors and the actresses, just like we do today. And so somebody in the biblical world had lots of money, and so they would give this money. They were a genuous giver in order for this play to be acted out on the Greek stage. So what's he saying? Well, Christ has given us what? He's the lavish giver. He's given us salvation. He's given us faith. He's given us eternal life. And ladies, he is the lavish giver that is giving you aid as you carry out your responsibilities regarding these virtues. He's helping you with all these. Isn't it great? You're saying, no, I don't know. I think that you're all asleep. <laughs> Ladies, we are to be working on these diligently, but listen, we have the lavish giver that's helping us do this. Isn't that great? We have Christ at our side. So we might put it like this. Bring these virtues alongside to the work that Christ has already done. So that makes it a lot easier, right? He's helping us. So our second responsibility is to be earnest about virtue. What does this mean? It means excellence, moral courage. Virtue is what enables us to fight the good fight of faith. Not give in to the schemes of the devil. Ladies, this is needed in our churches today. We are so full of apathy. Oh, my goodness. We need virtue. We have lost our zeal. We have lost our zeal for standing for what is right in the church, in the world, in our homes, and we're paying for it. You know what the church looks like today? A spineless bride. I, I, I mean, COVID has really brought forth spineless shepherds <laughs> that won't stand for their sheep and won't feed their sheep. My husband used to call our live stream, we only had it for four weeks because Oklahoma's the land of the brave and the free, but the four weeks we had to do live stream, he said, this is a lame stream. There's nothing live about it, it's lame. But we have a church now that is, is going apostate. 
So many churches have closed down. Our third responsibility is to be zealous about knowledge. Knowledge is practical knowledge married with a spiritual and a moral knowledge. This would be needed to combat and discern false teachers. Peter's going to spend a whole chapter, chapter 2. In fact, I'm getting ready to, to teach uh, Tuesday night 20 descriptions of false teachers that all start with the letter S. And as I went through, as I've been studying and preparing for teaching my ladies Tuesday, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I need a bath. Their eyes are full of adultery. Their eyes cannot cease from sin. I mean, it's horrible. And so Peter is saying, you need spiritual and moral knowledge so that you don't succumb to false teachers. And, you know, ladies, this follows nicely after virtue, even though we don't add it to virtue. Because if you're fighting the good fight of faith, if you have moral courage and moral excellence, then you're not going to acquiesce to the trends of our day. You're not going to fall prey to false teachers. You're going to be strong in your spiritual walk. Well, Peter continues on to write three more responsibilities we have in verse 6. Notice what he says. To knowledge, self-control. So our fourth responsibility, oh, did I skip this one? I did, sorry. Okay, our third, let's back up, back up. Our third responsibility is to be zealous about knowledge. Yeah, I did say that. Huh? I did say that, didn't I? Knowledge, yeah, moral and practical. Okay, number four. Did I miss one? Oh, okay. Sorry. And I had more than 30 minutes of sleep. You did? Girls. I did. Faith, virtue, and knowledge. Yep, okay. We're going to do knowledge now. Right? No, I did knowledge. All right. Oh, sorry. Self-control. Okay, I'm mixing them up. Don't worry. I blame everything on... I'm a widow, so <laughs> she blames it on 30 minutes of sleep. I'm going to blame it on my widow. Okay, I'm really, I'm really not blaming on anybody. Okay, our fourth responsibility is to be eager regarding self-control. This is a great one. It means get a grip on yourself. I like what Elizabeth Elliot said about women that needed self-control. Wise up to your wifely duties. Bring your passions under control. Ladies, this might be physical passion, emotional passion that needs to be brought under control. I know right after my husband died, I read a book by Al Martin called Grief and Solace, How to uh, Comfort for When a Loved One Dies in Christ, and he lost his wife after 45 years. And he said one of the things every time he was tempted to get out of control emotionally, because he was a pastor, he had to keep it under control, he said, I thought about what Christ has gained and not what I've lost. And so anytime I'm tempted to have a, a bawling party, I try to bring my passions. Not that I don't grieve, and I do grieve, and thank you for all of you that are telling me I need to grieve. I've grieved a lot. And Debbie knows. She travels with me. But there are times you have to get yourself under control. So it might be physical passion, emotional compassion. This might be a control even as something as simple as how you're spending your money. I know women that are out of control in this area. They're spending money they don't have to spend. And so we need to be self-controlled. Uh, it's very interesting that the first thing that old women are to teach young women, according to Titus 2, is self-control. Self-control. Why? Because young women tend to get more out of control than older women. Youth and passion leads to often being out of control. Ladies, God has given us emotions. He's given us emotions. But we are to have them under the control of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is where we ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? And that's what we do. And if this is a problem for you, a book that I have found very helpful in counseling and discipling is called Faith and Feelings, How to Cultivate Godly Emotions. 
uh, by Brian Ber uh, Borgman. Uh, faith and or Brian Bergman, Bergman or Borgman? Is it Borgman? Yeah. Faith and feelings: How to cultivate godly emotions. And uh, I've used this a lot in discipling and counseling. But ladies, we are to have self-control. That's one of the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. Self-control. So if you don't have self-control, you need to wonder why, because that's a promise, right? Self-control follows nicely after knowledge and that after we receive knowledge of our God-given emotions and where they're to be, we begin to discipline those under the Spirit. The fifth responsibility is perseverance. Perseverance. This word means endurance, especially under trials and difficulties. In fact, in Luke 21:19, right after Jesus warns the disciples of impending persecution and hatred from the world, he says, but by your patience, possess your souls. By your patience, possess your souls. Ladies, we need to persevere. We need to endure. Paul says in, in Romans 5, and not only this, but we add, uh, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. The writer to the Hebrews even writes about this. He says, you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Ladies, we are to have perseverance, endurance under long trials, hard trials, difficulties. Uh, that was the problem with my brother. He had a trial come into his life. It was a difficulty. He didn't like it. He got mad at God. He got angry at God. Uh, interesting, right after my husband passed, I was in um, another state teaching, and I met two widows both who had lost their husbands a year ago. One was angry. She said, I put my Bible down. I'm mad. God didn't answer my prayers. And she was, her countenance, and here's one over here, sweet, you know, showing empathy, compassion, but full of joy in the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I don't want to be like that one. I want to be like this one, you know. And that's really what Paul is saying here. Peter's saying here, we've got to endure through these difficult trials. Uh, we persevere. We control our emotions and we persevere through long-term challenges. And ladies, if you, if you can and learn self-control, you will persevere uh, when long challenges come and it will be a lot easier. Next we have our sixth responsibility as one who has a generous giver, and that is godliness. What is godliness? Well, we don't see it much today. <laughs> Piety, holiness. Peter's already told the readers they have everything they need for life and godliness. Ladies, we are to be godly. That means we are to be set apart. We are to be holy, holy women. Paul writes in 1 Timothy but, as I mentioned in the last session, but reject profane and old wives' tables, but exercise yourself rather unto what? Godliness. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for this life and the life to come. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing in this world, and it's certain we're going to carry nothing out, right? I know, because when I buried my husband, they told me to bring him some clothes to you know, for the, for the funeral, for the memorial service. And I brought not only his clothes, but a yellow marker because I used to threaten him, you know, because he read all the time. That's all he did was read. He was very educated, read history, theology, and the Bible, and would read his Bible usually 10 times in a month. And so the whole thing through, he was uh, very intelligent. And I used to threaten him, as you can see, I've got my stuff in yellow markers. And I'd say, honey, when I was a young bride, when you die, I'm burying you with the yellow marker. 
And so I took one to the, to the funeral home, and I thought, they were, thought I was a little bit weird, but I said, could you please put this in his hand? Because that was my threat for 46 years, and I'm making it come to pass. So, uh, you know, ladies, we brought nothing in this world, as Paul says, and we're not going to carry anything out except what you decide to put on that body if you decide to put it under the ground, right? And so what he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, I'm reading a book uh, by Thomas Watson, The Art of Divine Contentment, and he says if we would, uh, we would never sin if we would learn contentment. And I thought about that. It's really true. Because if we'd been content, we wouldn't lie, we wouldn't commit adultery, we wouldn't steal, we wouldn't do all those things. If you've never read that book, that's another good one by a Puritan, The Art of Divine Contentment. Ladies, as we persevere and endure difficulties, it has an effect on us, and the effect should be holiness. Suffering is good for us, right? The Bible says it's good for me that I be afflicted, lest I go astray. It purifies us. It surfaces all our idols and our ugliness that needs to be removed. It motivates us to be godlier. Well, Peter ends our responsibilities in verse 7 with two more. He said, to godliness add brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. The Greek word is Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. This is a common love that we have because we're connected to Christ. Some of you I don't even know. But as I've had conversations with you in here, in the other room, or downstairs, there's a kindred spirit there, right? Because why? We're sisters in Christ. Isn't it going to be great when we get to heaven? I mean, I'm kind of mad at Doug because, I mean, he's already got to visit with J.C. Ryle and Spurgeon and John Calvin. And I'm like, dude, what in the world? You know, but there's that connection that we have because of Christ. It's not a pretend love. It's genuine because we are sisters in Christ. In fact, John says we know we have passed from death to life when we what? Love the brethren. We love the brethren. And I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged when I witness the love of Christ among a body of believers. It's encouraging when we serve each other, we help each other. I mean, I have a, st a stack of sympathy cards at home that I'm going to read again one of these days when I have uh, the gall to do it. But anyway, about this big, a lot of them are from women I don't know, but they listen to my teaching and they've, they've sent me cards of condolences and encouragement. I don't know these women, but they're what? They're practicing Philadelphia brotherly love. They don't know me, but they wanted to offer their sympathies. Ladies, those who are godly certainly possess brotherly kindness. In fact, Peter writes about this in his first epistle. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, that's godliness. Then he says, through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love each other fervently, right? So godliness kind of produces love. It sure is a lot easier to love each other when we're living godly, isn't it? When we're walking in the flesh, we just want to love ourselves. We don't want to love anybody. Well, our eighth and final responsibility, according to the text, is, is to love. We add to brotherly kindness, love. And this is a different Greek word. It's agape. You know, loving each other in the family of God, that's kind of easy. But now we've got to love everybody. <laughs> our enemies, those who hate us, those who persecute us. Ladies, we are to agape all people, all people. And if you want to know what agape love looks like, read 1 Corinthians 13. Actually, memorize 1 Corinthians 13. 
You know, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, I'm nothing. Though I, you know, distribute all my gifts to the poor, I have not nothing. If I don't have love, and then love is kind, love is patient, has all these characteristics of love. My friend, this is the, the, to love one another in that way is only possible by the one who poured out his blood for you and gives you the power to love those who are unlovable. And by the way, you were unlovable when God reached down to you, weren't you? There was, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were living in ungodliness, right? And God reached down and loved you and illuminated your stubborn heart. So why don't we love those who are unlovely, right? With agape love. Ladies, he will aid you. Remember, he's the generous giver. So he knows that you have trouble loving difficult people. But he will supply you lavishly with that ability to do it. But you've got to ask him and work alongside with him. Well, Peter will briefly give three results of being faithful to these responsibilities in verse 8, and then later on we'll see another one in verse 10 and 11. He says, For if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying, these things? If these things are in you, what things? Those seven things he just mentioned. If these seven things are in you, if you pursue them with all diligence, then you will abound, which means you will superabound. You will progress in your spiritual walk. You won't be barren. You won't be unfruitful. Barren means you'll no longer be idle. You'll no longer be lazy. You'll no longer be useless. <laughs> and to be fruit, unfruitful means you'll no longer be without fruit. In fact, he goes on to say, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this mean? What's he talking about? Ladies, what he's saying is, we will have the mind of Christ in the sense that each of these virtues he possesses perfectly, right? Those seven virtues Christ possesses perfectly. And as we pursue these with his help, then we what? We have more knowledge of who he is. Remember what I mentioned in the last session? Are you growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this is one way to grow in that knowledge of who God is. He possesses these seven qualities. Now let that lavish giver help you as you pursue these seven qualities. In fact, the word knowledge here means full discernment. You'll have full discernment of who Christ is in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies, we sing about wanting to know him more. We talk about wanting to know him more. But guess what? As you start acting like him, you'll have a fuller understanding of who he is. Isn't that great? We're to walk as he walked, right? We have a moral obligation to walk as he walked. And when we see each other, our brothers and sisters, living it out, we see more of what Christ is like. I see Christ in you and Christ in you and Christ in you. Why? Because you're living out these virtues. And so I see more of who Christ is. Ladies, don't ever be content with status quo. So many Christians today are living just getting by, you know, just getting by. That's not what Peter's saying. Keep growing. So ladies, we must do self-examination. Ask questions like, do I love the brother more today than I did yesterday? Am I more patient today? Am I more loving than I used to be? Am I persevering more under trials than I used to? Am I more godlier today than I was last year? Am I enduring long-term trials? Ask yourself those questions. So the three results that will happen when we fulfill our responsibilities will no longer be lazy, unfruitful, 
and we'll have a fuller knowledge of our Lord. What a great deal. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be unfruitful. I want to have a fuller knowledge of my Lord. Well, some of Peter's readers may be saying what some of you are saying. This is too hard. This is too hard. I don't feel like being diligent about these things. Well, Peter gives reasons as to why some are lacking the ability to fight the good fight of faith and pursue these virtues. And my friend, I pray you do not find yourself in this camp in verse 9. Notice what he says. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. He has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. He who lacks these things is short-sighted. He, he does not possess these virtues. He has a problem. The problem is he's short-sighted. Uh, we get our word nearsighted. He can't see afar off. He can see things in front of him, but he can't see things afar off or in a distance. What's this describing? What's Peter saying? He's describing this person's moral and spiritual condition. In fact, he goes on to say, even to the point that they are blind. Ladies, that describes a serious spiritual condition. Being blind. In fact, the Greek tense is it's an ongoing condition. They remain in their blindness. They've forgotten. They remain in their blindness. It's a lost condition. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, whose, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, that he's blinded, who do not believe in the light of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has judicially blinded their eyes. And Peter goes on to say, they've even forgotten they were cleansed from their old sins, which means uh, it's a symbol of Christ washing away our sins. But in the biblical world, uh, when somebody repented of their sins and gave their life to Christ, they were immediately baptized. If you read Acts, uh, when Cornelius was, was saved, he got baptized. When Lydia got redeemed, she was baptized. And so they were immediately baptized. They didn't put it off like we do in our age. And their water baptism was just a symbol of what had already happened, the washing away of their sins. And what Peter is saying here, the cleansing here would remind the readers of their baptism, which was a symbol that the old is gone and the new has come. Ladies, listen to very carefully what Peter's saying here. It's a serious warning that he's giving in this verse. If you are lazy, if you are unfruitful, if you are short-sighted, if you are blind, if you're not pursuing these virtues, and even though you've walked an aisle, said a prayer, been baptized, he says you've forgotten. You have forgotten. You forgot. You're probably lost. You're like my brother. Saved, baptized, you know. But he apostatized from the faith. He left the faith. You're in the category of the names I read in the opening of this lesson. You have not understood the gospel of the glorious light. You fooled yourself into thinking that Christianity is walking an aisle, saying a prayer, and then living the same life you've always lived. That's what I did, only I got worse. I got saved at five because I didn't want to go to hell. And my Sunday school teacher said, how many of you don't want to go to hell? Me. <laughs> my dad preached on it. I didn't want to go there, so I got saved and baptized. Thirteen, I had an emotional experience at youth camp. Got saved and baptized. 18, I was in a car wreck that should have taken my life. I had just taken my seatbelt off before the car ravined down the hill. 
completely smashed where I was sitting, and the highway patrol said, if you'd have had your seatbelt on, you would have been killed. That's why I don't always believe seatbelts save lives, because it would have taken mine if I'd have had it on. I got saved and baptized at the age of 18. I did all those things. I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. I got baptized three times. I went off to Moody Bible Institute where I met my husband. There was no transformation in my life. In fact, my life actually got worse. I was more and more engrossed in lawlessness and wickedness. In fact, the night before my husband and I got married, he almost called the wedding off because he began to see that I not only had a temper, but I had a lot of other problems too. And if he were here, he could tell you about all those things, but he's not, so you'll have to ask me, I'll tell you. And I'm not proud of it, believe me. After the Lord saved me, I had a lot of asking forgiveness from him and many others and uh, for the wickedness of my life. Ladies, that's what Peter's talking about. You can have all the outward manifestation of getting baptized, thinking that Christ has washed away your sins. But if you're not, in, if you're not diligent pursuing these things, you've forgotten. You have forgotten so ladies, the reasons why we don't pursue the virtues mentioned is because we're nearsighted, blind, forgot what our baptism meant. This person, unfortunately, is like I was, a believing unbeliever. You know what that is? A believing unbeliever? Remember, John talks about that. Jesus mentioned it. It says, many believed on him, talking about Jesus, many believed on him, but Jesus did not commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew what was in them. Ladies, even the demons believe, right? The demons believe, but they tremble, which is more than what some of us do. We don't tremble. Well, let's end on an encouraging note, okay, before we go to lunch, as we consider the final three results of making our calling and election sure. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Therefore, listen carefully, therefore, because some have thought they were in the kingdom, but by lack of diligence, they have proven they're not, as seen in verse 9. Then you, brethren, be even more diligent. And isn't it interesting? In verse 10, he calls them brethren. In verse 9, he does not. Another indication he's talking about unbelievers in verse 9. Brethren is a term of endearment. You, brethren, be more diligent because of what was said. Don't lay your sword down. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. In fact, more diligent means to be prompt, be earnest. It's a different Greek than in verse 5. There's an urgency here in, verse, in this verse. Be more diligent. Don't be like those in verse 9. Paul writes of the same thing in Romans 12. He said, don't be lagging in diligent. Be fervent in your spirit. Now, what do we need to be more diligent about? Notice what he says. Making your calling and election sure. The calling here is the call to follow Christ. And Peter knew this personally. Remember when he called Peter, he said what? Follow me. <laughs> follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So what is he talking about here, the calling? Well, the calling here is uh, the call of Christ for salvation, but he also uses the word election, make your calling an election. What is that? Well, we as reformers know what that is, right? Election is a word which pertains to God's sovereign election in salvation. Peter's already said in 1 Peter, he chose us before the foundation of the world. He elected us. And Peter says, make sure of that. Make your calling an election sure. Make sure it's stable. Make sure it is steadfast. How do I do that? By going back to what he just wrote in verses 5 to 7. Look, if you do these things, what things? 
those seven things. If you do them, you will never stumble. If you give attention to these things, if you hunt and chase after them, you will never stumble. In fact, the Greek is a double negative. No, never, no, never will you stumble. No, never, no, never will you stumble. Now, ladies, Peter's not saying you will sin. You will sin. <laughs> You've sinned today already. In fact, some of you are probably sinning right now. We're saying, I wish you would hurry up and sit down. <laughs> you might sin, and a righteous man falls down seven times, right? But you will not fall away from the faith. It's encouraging. He will hold you fast, but you do your responsibility. Ladies, are you listening to what Peter's saying? You will never stumble. Stumble means to fall into perdition, to apostatize. This is now the fourth result of making your calling and election sure. You will never stumble. Those who persevere and take heed to their calling will have something exciting waiting for them, as seen in verse 11. And Peter now gives one more result of making your calling and election sure. For so an interest will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ladies, the fifth result of those who pursue diligence in their walk with Christ, notice what he says. They receive an entrance into the everlasting kingdom. The word entrance, interesting word, was used by the Greeks to describe those who won the Olympic Games because as they would come home from winning the Olympic Games, there would be this lavish welcome. And so it's talking about our lavish giver who helps us with these virtues. When it's our time to go to glory, He's awaiting us. We will have an entrance into the everlasting kingdom. Excuse me. Ladies, those of us who run the race, like my husband did, making our calling and election sure, will have a grand welcome by our Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, I was so encouraged when one of the young men, my husband, disciple, said, Susan, I don't want you to feel bad about not being with Doug when he died because he mentioned in one of his teachings in 1 John that it was, when it was time for him to die, and I remembered this after Bo told me, when it was time for him to die, he didn't want anybody at his deathbed because he wanted to make sure that he was ready to step into eternity, make sure he was ready to meet the Lord, make sure he was making his calling and election sure. Ladies, that's what Peter's saying. You'll have an entrance supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like what Jesus says when he gives the parable of the sheep and the goats. <laughs> Remember the sheep and the goats? Remember he says to the goats, cursed, you know, I, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me any drink. Depart from me. But what does he say to the sheep? <laughs> I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was in prison, you visited me. I was sick, <laughs> you came to me. And then he says, what? Enter into the everlasting kingdom. Enter into the everlasting kingdom prepared for you. As Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, what, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give me in that day. Peter mentions this interest, notice what he says, is supplied to you, which is a reference to one who is lavish in giving to pay for a Greek performance of some kind. It's supplied by somebody else. Christ supplied that for us. Ladies, so it is with our grand entrance into heaven. It is supplied by the cost of Jesus' blood. And his kingdom's everlasting. Revelation says his kingdom is forever and ever and ever. Isn't that great? 
So what are the responsibilities to make my calling and election sure? I've got to be diligent, pursue virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Are you being diligent or are you being lazy in your pursuit of holiness? Would others wonder if your calling and election is sure? Are you diligent in pursuing virtue? Does your life look more like the excellent wife in Proverbs 31 or the nagging wife in Proverbs 19? Are you diligent in your knowledge of God? Do you know more about him today than last year, or do you look more like him today, and do you look more like him today than last year? Are you being earnest in being self-controlled in all areas of life? Is there any area that is out of control? What have you done to be under the control of the Holy Spirit? Are you being more diligent in going through troubles with perseverance? Do you quickly lose heart during trials, or do you remain steadfast, remaining under them, until the Lord deems it best to be done. And what if your trial never ends? Will you persevere? And let's talk about godliness. Does your life look more like the world or the word? Would others watch your life and never stand in doubt that you are a Christian? Are you pursuing brotherly kindness? Do you love the brethren or do you tolerate the brethren? How have you shown brotherly kindness this week? And last but not least, are you diligent in pursuing loving all people, even those who are different than you or difficult to love, even those who hate you and persecute you? The reasons we don't make our calling and election sure from verse 9, we're short-sighted, we're blind, we've forgotten the meaning of our baptism. Are you truly convinced that you're redeemed? Has there been any changes in your life since you became a Christian that you cannot explain apart from the saving and redeeming grace of God. If not, my friend, please examine yourself. Make sure you are in the faith. Repent. Give your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And start living like a saint and not a sinner. The results of making my calling and election sure, I will not be barren, I will not be unfruitful, I'll have a knowledge of the Lord that will enable me to be more like Him. I will not stumble and I will be granted an entrance into the everlasting kingdom. What great results for those who are diligent in their pursuit of Christ-likeness. Instead of being useless, you will be useful in the work of the Lord. Instead of being unfruitful, you'll be fruitful for the kingdom. Instead of looking like the lost, you'll look like the Lord. Instead of stumbling, you will be striding. Instead of being granted an entrance into everlasting punishment, you will be granted an entrance into the everlasting kingdom. Will you remember to hold fast to the truth? I pray you will. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have been warned, and we have been warned very kindly by our brother Peter that we just cannot pretend to be holy if we are not making sure of our calling and election. So, Father, I pray that you will use these words of Peter's written by the Holy Spirit to uh, convict us, encourage us, but also to convict us to make sure that we're being diligent, even more diligent, as we consider those who forgot about what salvation meant. So, Father, uh, bless in our time, the remainder of it. I know as the day goes on, it gets uh, maybe a little more challenging to listen and to interact but father i just pray you'll give us that extra measure of spiritual and physical strength that we need
to persevere um, for the rest of this conference. Thank you for these precious ladies. Thank you for all who have made it possible for the food we've eaten, the fellowship we've had, and may it continue to be a blessing to all of us in Christ's name. Amen.